five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new? Hello and welcome to Five in the Eye on Colourful Radio, transmitting on DAB and online. This is the show where we collect some samples of topical news in five test tubes and send them off to the lab for analysis under the microscope. I'm Phil Woodford and this is episode 0275. And this is me, Michael O'Hoodjuru, joining Phil by Zoom this week and revealing that our top story is going to be the fiasco in our universities, where some students are claiming they're being kept effectively under house arrest. While we're going to be talking to one such student, and she happens to be Phil's daughter, Maria, who's heading back to campus this week. Yeah, I should stress she hasn't yet been arrested, but we'll be chatting to we'll be chatting to her and seeing what her expected experience is going to be. Live in the eye. And for story number two, we take a look at Ed Davey, the new leader of the Liberal Democrats. He has a very interesting and perhaps unexpected life story and was recently championing the role of carers. But is it enough to raise the party from its dismal five or six percent showing in the polls? Mm. Our third story is the idea that we're being watched as we work. Some bosses have admitted to using software to spy on employees as they work from home, taking screenshots and monitoring their activity. Our fourth story, well, that's the American transit workers who built themselves a secret man cave beneath Grand Central Station in New York City. If only the bosses had used better surveillance. And finally, would you fancy crab if you were having a barbecue? Possibly not a giant crab that that, that disturbed a family campsite on Christmas Island. That was just shellfish. And that's this week's Five in the Eye. Celebrating five years of Five in the Eye with Michael and Phil. Okay, we're going to kick off this week with um, the story from the universities. And this is something that is pretty personal in the Woodford family because I have two daughters who both started university at the same time uh, last year. Uh, my older daughter, Maria, who's about to join us, is um, someone who took a gap year and she started at the same time as her, her younger sister. And she's going back for her second year, as is her sister. And what are they going back to? Exactly. And we thought it might be yeah. quite interesting to get a student perspective on this because mm. Maria hasn't actually arrived back on campus yet, but she's been reading all the stuff, hearing from all um, all her friends, reading all the the commentary online. Maria, tell us what you anticipate when you go about how different an experience is this going to be this term, do you think? Uh, I think it's going to be completely different, totally, because I think so much of like student life is going to be changed by the new regulations and the kind of stereotype of student living, of going out all the time, of turning up late to your lectures because you're hungover, like all of that stuff is possibly going to be a bit of a thing of the past because really you're not going to go anywhere that's not your flat. Yeah, but I mean, when we look at pictures from around the country, it seems that some students maybe aren't quite observing that level of dedication. Maria, is that fair? I mean, uh, you, you, you surely that the student ethos is party party regardless and and do you think there'll be a a pressure on you when you go back to ignore the regulations i think that a lot of young people feel like we are as a group being held accountable for the rising cases at the moment and that a lot of what you're seeing is a select few 
people who are choosing to disobey the rules, while a lot of young people have been very careful and continue to be very careful. And I think that it's sort of unfortunate for university students that they're being portrayed in this light because mm, the more yeah. negative press they get, yeah. the less likely you're going to feel that you want to keep obeying the rules and that you want to keep trusting in government guidance. Maria, I, th- I think y- your generation is, is in a no-win situation here because on the one hand, the, the, the main headline is, well, COVID doesn't affect the young when we know it does. And the co- you know, these students, you're always partying there, so you're vectors for the disease. No, you, you know, People think about you coming home and the, and, the, and the challenges with that. I think it's really, you know, my heart goes out to your generation because remember when I was coming up, when I well, my freshers week, Wow, that was, you know, I say this to many of my friends now who've got children going to, you know, and I, I, I think I said it to you too, you, you and your sister, be careful, the people you meet in those first weeks of university, they're there with you for, for decades. You know, in fact, I'm, I'm celebrating 50 years with my, my friend Pete in October this year, and um, next month, we're going to sell 50 years we've been mates. So I really feel for you because you've, you know, you've got a really bad press. But, but but tell me, you're you're a second year now. You're just in your second year. Yeah, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay, so you're 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 mature now. You uh, what, 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 do you think you'd be speaking to these fresher people, kind of getting them, you know, calm down, give, give them some discipline, some organisation, or or are they, are they in a different bubble to you? How, how do you see that working? I don't really see myself having any contact with the freshers. I'm supposed to sort of be mentoring a few freshers, but I don't know whether that's really going to be in person because of the new rules. Um, So I feel really quite bad for these new people coming in because they're going to go instantly into these small household bubbles where, you know, they might not necessarily bond very well with the people in their flat and yeah. where usually they would have the chance to meet people um, in lecture halls or on nights out, that's just all closed off to them now. And I think that it could prove a really isolating experience for no, some I, of them. I, I, that sounds dreadful. I was thinking of you, your sister, because your sister's going to my hometown, Liverpool, you know, and there, just, I saw this week, you know, four times the national average in COVID, you know, 200, what was it? I sort of figured 200 out of 100,000. So Liverpool itself is a hotspot. So she's, you know, she's going in the hotspot. So it just kind of intensifies the situation and just makes the whole student experience just, you know, as I say, my heart goes out to you again in terms of, because my student days, come on, I love them, honestly. Really, you know, party, well, the, party. Swing, the swinging 60s was something else. We, steady, we, we, does, steady does. It was the 70s. Come on, I'm not that old. I'm not that old. But, you know, so I guess, do you know, Marie, is there something... That, that we older people can do. Is there anything we can do to mitigate, to make life better for you? Is there anything we can do? I think that older people need to also be kind of practicing what they preach because I think we hear a lot about how young people are not obeying the rules and how they don't care about the effects of the virus. But I really wouldn't say that that was true. And I think that I've come across plenty of incidences where I've walked around in public and I've seen that, you know, older people are not wearing masks in shops uh, or on the train uh, when I am. And I, I think that if you want to hold young people accountable for um the increase in cases then you need to be certain that you yourselves are not also responsible 
Yeah, but I think that's I, a very fair point. I, I, I think I think our listeners would uh, would wholeheartedly endorse that. I mean, I, one, one thing before we, we we move on from this topic, Michael, the, the extreme example, for instance, of Manchester Metropolitan University, where the students have effectively been told that as a whole block, you know, they've got to self-isolate. And it doesn't seem to have any relationship to whether they personally have come into contact with COVID or have COVID. But um, the whole block's locked down. And as far as I'm concerned, they're all giving it to each other. And, I mean, this is a madness, isn't it? Well, I've tried to give this government some slack in handling this this pandemic, but it just seems to be one thing after another, just in... incompetence because you could have seen this coming you could have seen this coming that what we're going to do with, with students at university and then suddenly what are we going to do about them coming home from at christmas it just seems the whole thing seems poorly thought out poorly we thought just out. check with maria do you, do you want to come home at christmas maria <laughs> I, I do. I do want to come home at Christmas. Yeah. She has to say that because her dad's here. Um, yeah, the, but actually, there was some polling which showed that um, younger people were the keenest to come home at Christmas, and it was older people that were less keen, perhaps scared of the COVID that might be coming see, with them. But. I can see it in Woodford Towers through the letterbox. No, you're not coming in here. Go back. Go back to Cambridge. Go back to Liverpool. <laughs> come on. Well, thanks very much, Maria, for joining us and giving us the the student perspective on this story. And I'm sure it's one that we may come back to you on in the future. No problem. Thanks for having me. Five in the eye. Story number two this week is a, well, there's two stories in this. One is the story of the Liberal Party electing a new leader. And the second is the, the, the backstory of that leader. And I thought we were going to do this. Uh, Phil, you, you wanted to do this like a couple of weeks ago. And I said, this is a non-story. Liberal, who cares? They're, they're irrelevant. But when you hear um, um, Ed, uh, Ed, Ed Davies' backstory, your heart goes out. The fact that his father died when he was young, his mother was blind and he cared for her. He's got a son who's got disabilities and he's caring for her. This is a man who understands human compassion in a family environment you know, caring for people, making it work. So it made, it, it made me sit up and think, think about him as a, wow. Because I don't know the, you know, the yeah, issues I mean, of, of, of kids. You know, I mean, I, I have to declare a vested interest, Michael, because I actually stood against Ed Davey um, in um, 2001 in Kingston Surbiton. I was the Labour Wow, candidate. respect, awesome, um, respect. And, he, and he, was, he, was the, he was the incumbent Lib Dem. And actually my vote was uh, very badly squeezed because he, he, he ran a very successful tactical voting campaign where he got people who didn't want the Tory um, to desert me as the Labour candidate and vote for him instead. So um, I have to say he outmaneuvered me. He outmaneuvered me hugely. Uh, and, and I have a lot of respect for his ability as a politician. Um, I think, um, it, indeed, it's nice to know that politicians have a human side to mm, them. Definitely, and that definitely. they have experience to some of the things they talk about. And I think he may have hit on something here with the idea of speaking up for carers because there is a surprisingly large number of people in the UK. And, and young carers as well, just like category. him. Young carers who bring bringing up parents, not oh, I say bringing up, looking after parents. You know, so yeah. it was just something I'm I, I, I not fully considered when I, when I read his story. And I thought, there's a constituency out there. And, and that, it's not what the Liberals need. They need a way in. You know, something that, uh, you know, th- th- they tried with Brexit. 
you know, as, as their way, you know, they, 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 they were Remainers. They, that, that, that was their thing. Well, maybe caring is their thing. And in, in, in these days of um, pandemic or these pandemic where, where the budgets are being cut, mm. and we've got austerity coming down, but now we've got managing the budget now. Maybe they're going to have a voice. People are going to listen to them. Yeah. I mean, when you think about it, you know, there are parents caring for disabled children, as Ed Davey has done. And there, there are people in his position when he was a kid and caring for their parents. And then there's all the people who are caring for elderly relatives, um, which is particularly fraught in the time of COVID, isn't it? And so I think, you know, there is definitely a, a big constituency out here. The problem for the Lib Dems, though, is that they're probably on their lowest ranking mm. uh, in the polls that we've seen in a generation. I mean, they, they, they're struggling to get more than the Greens now in, in, in opinion polls, about five or six percent. And um, they really, really suffered long term from being in that coalition government with the Tories between 2010 and 2015, didn't they? I mean, do you, and Ed Davey was very much a part of that. You know, he was yeah, a minister yeah. in that government. Do you, know, do you I, think I, that's I, kind of the uh, factor? Of course, they're, 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 from a political point of view, because they'll be held to account by the Liber, by the by the Labour, because they you signed all those uh, those uh, austerity measures, you were part of them, you know, and they'll make them more like you know conservative light or some some disparaging thing. But I would think, um, you know, I, I, my, my mind is open to them now. For when I look at his backstory, and if you know his son is disabled, can, can't walk, and barely talk. You know, so if the party can, this is being political, use that, that caring, sharing party and, and hold the other parties to account in their, mm. in their, their view, they're, they're sending, they've got, to, they've got to way back, a way in. Obviously, it's, it's, they've got to get the balance right in, 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 the, in the battles that they fight. But clearly, in, in, in Ed David, they've got a leader there. Who cares? Literally. But, I mean, could, could, could you say that, you know, the Liberal Democrats have always benefited, haven't they, from being the moderate party in the middle? So if you if you decided well, the Tories were a bit too extreme for you or Labour was too extreme for you, you might gravitate towards the Lib Dems as a middle ground option. But, you know, you could argue Keir Starmer um, has sort of uh, taken away that one prop there from the Lib Dems because he's brought the Labour Party back into the mainstream middle ground, hasn't he? Well, I challenge you, though, Phil, in terms of what is the middle ground. I'm not clear what the middle ground is now. You know, is, is it to do with climate change? Is it to do with the economy? Do with the health service? Education? You know, there's different views on all those different areas. You know, and that, that Venn diagram that brings them all to, that, that central point is quite small now, Phil. That kind of middle ground. You know, it, it's all, it, it, you have to take it issue by issue. And... You know, and at the risk of being cynical, it's the news cycle. What's what's big this week? Mm. You know, is is it the climate? Is is it austerity? Is it coronavirus? You know, so I don't I don't think it's as simple. The middle ground. I think that's um, I think that's old school film. Sorry, I think I think it's, it's difficult now. What is the middle ground? You have to choose choose your choose your topic, and that's why maybe this caring, you know, this compassion. Particularly with coronavirus and the fact it's affecting the old and old people's songs. Maybe there's something in it there for the uh, for liberals to eat away, to chip away at the uh, at the Tories. Another go at that. that um, maybe even Labour, you know, owning some ground. 
Well, let us know what you think anyway. If you have a strong opinion about the Liberal Democrats, and you know, it's not often you hear people say that they do, but if you if you do have an opinion, let us know. Um, and whether you think Ed Davey could be the person to turn their fortunes around, contact us on Facebook. We'd like to hear from you and, and, and understand your own views on that. Five in the eye. Our third story this week is about the idea that uh, firms are monitoring people as they work from home. And we were looking at this story from the BBC about a boss called Shibu Philip, who runs a business called Transcend, and they buy uh, beauty products uh, wholesale and then resell them. And he's used um, a, a software called Hubstaff, which tracks the keystrokes, the mouse movements, in his employ and it's even taking screenshots of them he's got seven employees based in india so his argument is well they're very remote from him he needs to keep track of what they're up to and make sure that they're doing their jobs but there's something pretty stressful and sinister about this isn't there michael i think you're being a bit old school here phil you know if you ever worked in a call center you know, the, the, this is what people, this is, this is modern day computer, computer working. It does this anyway. It does this anyway. And in some ways, it's a good thing because it lets the, it, one, it lets the boss know what's happening and lets the boss know you're at work. You can control your environment. So no, I, 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 I don't see this as in any way malicious because you have to check in, you have to clock in. So no, I'm, 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 I'm chilled with this in terms of, controlling the business in terms of understanding when people are at work and not at work. And particularly if, when you, if, if you're, where well, I've got a problem with it, if you're not told this is happening, if this is some background surveillance that you Yeah. Doing, and I mean, this guy, to be fair to this guy, to be fair to him, he's, he, he's making it clear to people, this is what's happening. And I take your point that in a call center, you'd get very similar monitoring and so on. I, it's just that, I mean, uh, traditionally in an office, environment part of the way that you deal with the stress and pressures of the job is you might take a few minutes out and you're in the kitchen and you're chit-chatting to a friend while you're making a cup of tea and maybe as the years went by perhaps you'd do a little bit of internet surfing just to buy all that and you can still do all that it's about effectiveness it's about productivity if you're producing the goods then what's the problem? Mm. What's the problem? If you're producing it, what's the, and, and I don't see it as an issue. If, as long as you're, you're being productive, you're meeting, you're meeting the, the objectives of the business. So get, get on with it. You know, so uh, on the one hand, yes, you can see this as a threat. You don't think it's, you don't think it's stressful to know that someone is effectively watching you all the time while you're working. You know, in a traditional office, that wouldn't really be the case, would it? People wouldn't be staring at you, or, and they Phil, wouldn't have you Phil, know, the ability to micromanage your every every minute of your work. Well, every time you use your mobile phone, come on, we're being monitored all the time. So you're dreaming now, Phil. You're kind of back in the day, benevolent bosses and all that. I'm sorry, Phil. Nonsense. Get real. This is computer. If the moment you touch a computer, you're, you're being monitored. You're being monitored. Like that comes with the territory. That comes with the territory. So I think you should, you've got to get over that. The issue is how the information is used. Yeah, we can, we can discuss that. But mm. equally, 
the value you bring to the business, the contribution you're making. Are you delivering the goods? Are you making things happen? You know, then, and at the end of the day, that's what yeah, it's about. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, I, I personally think there are big questions, aren't there, about what it is that makes people more productive. I mean, is it constant scrutiny? Or is oh, it Phil. the feeling no, 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 that you're... Phil, giving, Phil. Oh, wait, Mike, Mike, Michael. Or is it the feeling, is it the feeling that actually you've been given a little bit of trust and autonomy? Uh, maybe that would lead to greater productivity. What do you think? Oh, Phil, Phil it, it, it depends. At the end of the day, for some people, it's money. You know, I want productivity. If I get more money, then I'll work harder. For other people, it's like, that's that connection. For other people, it's a struggle from the boss. It's complex. But I think having it being monitored is, is wholly incidental. It's wholly incidental. Because it, 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 at the end of the day, it's about your trust, your relationship with your boss, and your ability to deliver what your boss wants. If that trust breaks down... You know what down, I've always... You know, you know, you know what I've always said, Michael, as a self-employed person, I've always said I'm the best boss I've ever had. I'm <laughs> well, firm, no, I can believe fair. that because you're meeting your objectives. You set the objectives when you meet them. That's what it's about. So it's about, it's about that trust and objectives. Do you trust, you trust each other? Are you meeting objectives? Move on. Are you both making money? You know, what was it used to say? We used to say, you're in business, you're in business for either fun or profit. If you're having fun, Great. If you're making profit, great. That's what it's about. The monitoring is secondary. If that, if if, if you if you've got a problem with that, then I suggest you move on. On the other hand, you know, you you, you, you can you can play the boss's game. And we did that. We, what was that story? We did a while ago about the guy who lived. He was a programmer in California, and he employed a guy in China. You know, he played him a third, you know, he earned a hundred. He, he, outsourced, the guy he outsourced his work. So what's to stop you from doing that? Yeah, you I mean, know? you could potentially, you could get quite a lifelike dummy to sit in front of the screen or maybe some kind of robot that would occasionally move its arms that look like well, it was Exactly, tiny, exactly. You, know? you can buy these things. Yeah. Oh, you, oh, I saw both of you there. Or maybe it'd be like it would be, you could do it with CGI or some kind of... Um, <laughs> Uh, uh, some kind of screen, Zoom oh, screen. Because it's, it's, it's I, software I projected, wars. I project an image of. I project yeah, it's, an image exactly. Of myself. Software wars. Or maybe if you want to be really cynical, just you can hire a picture of a goat. Have a goat there at work, you know. So yeah, you're referring here to the fact that you can you can hire goats into your meetings, can't you? Is that exactly. right? So boost, at the end of the day, it's to do with your relationship with your boss. If you want to be a goat, that's your way of telling your boss, "I've had enough now." But if you if, if you both of you making money, making progress, meeting common objectives, and having fun, then so be it. So no, Phil, I I, I don't see this this software as, as a real problem. Five in the eye. Our fourth story this week. <laughs> it made me smile. This was a secret room. They found a secret room in the metro in in New York. And well, these guys they partied there. Uh, well, those, those guys can party. Their, their idea was partying, was, was beer beer and TV. I guess that's not my idea of party, but that was their idea of party. And they were found out in this secret room. You know, they, they used to hang out and during office hours. So they, were, they hid in this room. So coming back to management there, you know, management and surveillance, 
poor management. They were being, they, they should have had some tracking software on their phones or whatever. But yeah, I mean, this, 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 there's a very clear link here, isn't there, between story number three and story number four today? Because um, the, the, this, the, the, the transit bosses in New York City didn't really have much of a grip on what their workers were doing. And so much so that they were able to slip away into this man cave that they built themselves with the, the TV remote. No, they didn't build it. They found this secret room that nobody knew about. Well, they, they kitted it out, hadn't they, I think, with, 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 with things that provided their own, uh, their own entertainment. Um, and um, I, I, I don't think the bosses reacted very well when they discovered it, did they, Michael? Not, not at all in the fact they're being suspended now. But I think you know, it's their own fault. For not monitoring, you know, they should have put some software on those people to, to track them. Because we all love a little bit, bit of a room where, where we can be ourselves. You know, you can let your hair down if you've got any, Phil. you got any, Phil. You can, you can let it down and, and, and have a good time. So, no, I'm in favour of these secret rooms. And, you know, you know we, don't, we, we, um, we don't spare any money on our, on our researchers for this programme. But in preparation for this, I did a little research because one of my secret favourite secret rooms was in the Eiffel Tower. Okay. You know, the engineer who built that, he built a secret room for himself. Right. Only him and his mates, or a, science, or a scientist, he saw that. You know, Edison went up there with him, with FL in, in the 1890s, whatever it was. And they could sit there and look over Paris in a little secret room. You know, wow. so th- these secret rooms are all over the world. Did you know the, the, um, the um, Statue of Liberty secret room in, in the torch? There's a secret room there. They used to have secret rooms in, 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 in the Tudor times to hide Catholic priests away from, from the people that came hunting for them. I'm talking about these rooms aren't our proper rooms where you can sit down, have a glass of wine and talk as you and I are talking. Yeah, I mean, now. I mean, maybe, maybe the Catholic priests. But, but this, 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 you know, the this Tudor pr- cupboards, you know, this, this, uh, a cupboard's one thing, you know. I guess, you, I guess this is the difference between you, me and you, Phil. For you, a cupboard is a room. But for me, a cupboard is a cupboard. You know, I want a room where I can put my drinks down, I can walk around, I can talk. Yeah, so what, what, what would be, if you had the chance to create your own man cave under Grand Central Station, Michael, what would be in it? What would be your go-to items? Wi-Fi connection. <laughs> Wi-Fi connection. You think the Wi-Fi signal would be good down there? But definitely. If, if no Wi-Fi, I'm not going down there. And then my library. I want my library. Do you have, have you got a library, Phil? Um, I well, I think that there's, there's there's one maybe a couple of miles away. I've got a ticket. No, for. no, I mean, I mean, you're all books, library books. <laughs> well, I'm putting I, on this book. I have books, but to describe them as a library, more like boxes in the garage and littered around various shelves in the house is how I describe it. Nothing very neat or tidy about so, it. So, so you're not going to donate them to the local school or the local university? You know, the, the Phil Woodford Memorial Library. Well, I think Mrs. W'd be quite keen to get rid of a lot of them, but I, I, I was kind of brought up that books were precious things you looked after, kind of thing. I, I'm always reluctant to get rid of them. Well, I've, I've, I'm, I'm hoping to donate my library of books to the local school, you know, but my library of art books. I'm just, I'm just. You just this. want your name on the door, don't you? Let's no, 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 no. I'm just happy that my books would be looked after later on. Later on, it's important. You know, mem- 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 memories, memories, important. Live in the eye. Our final story this week is about a barbecue, but not just any barbecue. A barbecue <laughs> that was gate crashed by, wait for it, 
giant crabs and we are talking big crabs i mean you know uh, uh michael can you can, can you give our listeners a sense of the size of the size of five pound crabs up to a meter across <laughs> as i speak about them now Mark, talk, and the video you've got to see the video this fam, this is at night this is i done the barbecue at night beautiful you know the sun the, no, no, the moon the barbecue there the family the tent all those things you want and then the, and they counted them, 52 crabs turn up. And I'm thinking, no, no, no. But these people, they were they were there counting the crabs, enjoying them. As though the crabs were invited to the barbecue. This was just... I mean, well, if, were if, you, if you haven't seen this, you've really got to check this out online because you, you just won't believe the scenes that, that, that there were. I mean, these crabs are all over the place on Christmas Island. They've invaded this campsite where, where the family are having a barbecue. And it is the stuff of nightmares. I mean, it could be straight out of a horror movie, couldn't it? Well, no, Phil, no, my problem with when you say it'd be our horror, but they were chilled. <laughs> they were, they were, the kids were fine. They just, did, they just put their feet in the air as the crabs went to, you know, the business below released them. These things were just looked frightening. But I guess, you know, I'm not an Australian. I'm, you know, I'm used to more, you know, a cat and a dog in the street. But if I saw the, you know, 52 giant crabs coming down the street, I'm sorry, I'm gone. I'm gone. Particularly yeah, at I, night. I, 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 don't think, I don't think I would have lasted long. Uh, I mean, you know, even though, obviously, they, they provide a great source of food for many a barbecue to come, I think you'd be on your way pretty quickly if you saw them arrive. So, I've got to say, so have you, have you, have you, uh, have you ever eaten a crab then? Uh, not, not like, not, not, not like a proper crab with all its claws and pincers. Exactly. I've, I've eaten no. crab. I've eaten crab meat. Yeah, your crab meat. So it's been prepared for you. I remember, because I'm, I'm a big fan of lobster. Not that I can afford, but I like lobster. But lobster, getting the lobster meat out is a challenge, mate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> a challenge. No, no, I'm, need... I'm, I'm not very skilled with that. I remember going to Lisbon in Portugal and being given a. A paella which came with all this kind of shellfish, and I didn't know quite how to get any of the stuff out, and I, I looked a bit embarrassed. No, I, I, I could. I've, I've been there. In fact, I'm, I'm not going to tell you, but I've, I've been embarrassed because I've had friends say, "Well, I'll sort it out for my and then they pick up the lobster and start ripping it apart before me. You know, and I'm, I'm just. Ah. But the lobster meat, come on. Live in the eye. Well, that's it for another week. If anyone suggests going camping with giant crabs, I would give them a sideways look. So your writing as ever brilliant. We hope you enjoyed episode 0275 and thanks so much to Phil's daughter Maria for giving us a student perspective on the universities this week. If you want to get in touch with us, remember you can check out our Facebook page and leave us a comment. And we do hope you'll join us next week at the same time. Until then, I'm Phil Woodford in London, wishing you all the very best. And this is me, Michael O'Hajura, saying, if you have been, thanks for listening. That's five in the eye in isolation for another seven days. See you soon. Bye. Five in the eye with Michael and Phil. It's news, but is it new?